All right. We're going to make a start then. And uh, we're continuing then with that theme that I started last week around the message of Christmas, God manifest in the flesh. And you remember last week we saw that it was totally necessary that God become a human being because if anyone could save humanity from sin, first of all, they had to be God, but they had to be man as well. And that's Jesus, one person, two natures, fully divine, fully human. And only Jesus could save us. We saw that last week. Now we're going to move on from that and look at the incarnation and our sanctification. Now I've, I've never known a Christian who doesn't want to lead a godly life. Because when you get born again, Jesus comes to live inside you. You have a new nature. And that's what Jesus is like. He loves righteousness. He hates iniquity, the Bible says. And that nature has come to live in us. Praise God. So I, I don't know any Christians that don't want to lead a godly life, but I know that many, many Christians that don't know how to. That's the problem. And uh, often there's sermons preached on holiness and godliness, sanctification. Many books have been written about it and, and so on. You can go back hundreds of years trying to understand this message and just get confused because it's obvious that many of those that try to teach holiness don't really understand holiness. That's why, as we're going to see, godliness is a mystery. That's what the Bible calls it, a mystery. Now, when we use the word mystery, we mean something we cannot understand. We say, that's a mystery. I can't figure that out. But when the Bible uses mystery, it means something which was hidden, but now has been revealed. So it was at Christmas that the mystery of godliness was revealed. Paul says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. So the Bible explains many mysteries and two of these mysteries are what we're looking at now, the mystery of godliness that's explained in the word of God and the mystery of iniquity or the mystery of sin, the mystery of lawlessness, one translation says. So if we can understand the mystery of iniquity, we will understand the mystery of godliness. Now, we know there's a lot of iniquity in the world today, a lot of bad behavior, a lot of wrong behavior. And even though we're, we're making progress scientifically and technologically and all that sort of thing, yet morally, the world is going downhill fast. And people are trying to work out why do humans behave the way they do? That's the mystery of iniquity. Okay, so that's what psychology uh, is all about, trying to explain. This is why you are the way you are, right? Um, but when you look at psychology, and I'm not, I'm not knocking psychology because I believe it has helped a lot of people, but, but when you look at it, you see it's still a mystery. <laughs> Iniquity is still a mystery because, for example, there are many schools of psychology and they don't agree with each other. They conflict or, or contrast with each other. Um, for example, there's, there's uh, Freud who taught psychoanalysis. So if you've got a problem, you go and see one of those counsellors and they will try to analyse you by going back over your past 
and trying to discover authority figures that may have impacted upon your life in a negative way, usually one of your parents or you know, someone like a strict school teacher or something like that. And because you had this experience prolonged in your life, then you've, you've got all these hang-ups now. Okay, so that's one theory. Uh, but then, of course, there's a very popular school of um, psychology called behaviorism or determinism, uh, taught by Skinner and um, uh, Watson was the other famous one that, that led the way with this school of psychology. And basically, they teach that we're a product of our environment. Uh, you know, we've, we've, been, we've been shaped by our environment. We've been, we've been sort of um, engineered, if you like, by our environment. That's why we are the way we are today. If you change the environment, put them in another environment, people will behave differently. Uh, for example, you know, they might say, well, see that criminal there? He had a very poor education. If, if he had a good education, he wouldn't be a criminal. Well, that may be true. But what others say is if you give a criminal a good education, you get a clever criminal. <laughs> so it depends which way you look at it. Um, but then, then another one, of course, is humanism. Humanism uh, teaches people to believe in themselves. Okay, this was taught by Carl Rogers, and, and he said, um, my job as a counsellor is not to tell you what to do, not to instruct you, not to direct you, but, but to help you to discover the way you should go forward, because you have all the answers. Humanism, the, the deification of man, you've got it all, you see? Uh, and then, then there's um, existentialism. So, say, for example, I'm struggling with a moral problem right now, okay? I go and see an existentialist, and he would say, well, you, you seem to have a dilemma. Uh, you feel guilty about your immoral behavior, um, and, and you want to do the right thing, and yet you want to do that thing that you're doing. So the problem is that you've been, you, you believe in, in morals that have been thrust upon you. You know, who says it's right or wrong? You see? Uh, it's only, it, it, if, if it makes you feel good and you want to do it, it's right. There are no absolute morals. So my job as a counsellor is to help you to say, what do you want in life? Set the goals plot the pathway, and, and go that way, you see? And so there are many of these schools of, of, of uh, psychology. You can go on and on, hundreds of them. And so you can see that it's still a mystery. Iniquity and human behavior is still a mystery. And in fact, that's compounded by the fact that many counselors come along and they look at all these schools of psychology and they take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of that, and it's called eclecticism. They mix it all together and they've got their own brand of counselling. And we can go on and on. Now, um, what does the Bible say about all this? What, what, what is the answer? How do you explain human behaviour? Why do people struggle with their thought life? Why do, why do they, they struggle with negative emotions? Why, why do these emotions take them over? Why, why do they make bad choices that are destructive to themselves and to the primary relationships that they're in? in? And, and so on. we can go on and on and on talking about this complexity of human behaviour and, and the problems that come with it. And uh, 
we need to look at, first of all, the mystery of iniquity. If we can understand the mystery of iniquity, then we can understand the mystery of godliness. So let's look at that. The mystery of iniquity. Before the creation of the world, the Bible teaches Lucifer made a grab for equality with God. His philosophy was, I can be something, do something, have something without God. I don't need God. I can be disconnected from God and I can be God. I've got it all. I can be God. Now, the Bible causes the lie, not a lie, the lie. When you see that phrase, the lie, that's basically what it's referring to. See, the, the, the fact is we are all creatures, means God is our creator. We came from God and we need God. We were, we were created to be dependent upon God in every way. That's the way we are. That's who we are. That's how life functions. But the lie is, no, you don't. You, you don't need God. You can disconnect from God and you can be God. So we know it ended in disaster for him, but he brought that lie to the earth and put it before Adam and Adam believed it and died. You know, he took of the forbidden fruit. God said, the day that you eat of that, you'll be disconnected from me in that sense and, and you will die. And that's what he did. So the mystery of iniquity is Satan bringing this lie and, and the man taking it and believing it. And so it's Satan behaving in man. Right? That's the mystery of iniquity. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Okay, that's not how God made man, uh, you know, with sin. He created him in, with his own image and with his own life. Now, this is, the, this is the issue. That which God gave to man is not there anymore. It's gone at the fall. Every human being except Adam and Jesus had its beginning by offspring or generation. We've come from our parents who came from their parents who came from their parents. So that life has been handed down. In the womb of the mother, a male seed penetrates the female egg, resulting in the life of a human being. But it's come from their parents. But Adam was made differently. He was made directly from God and made in his image and received his life. But he was given God's life, but poured the plug on it and was left with a different life form, which we call sin or flesh. And that's what's passed on. Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness, after his own image and named him Seth. He, he could not pass on the life that God gave him because he didn't have that anymore. He took the fruit and the lights went out. God vacated the soul and he was left with his own image and that's what he passed on. That's what the Bible says. Every human is a product of this life form now. Job asked the question, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? The psalmist concurs. He says, the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Because they've all come from that Fallen life source. People commit sins because of sin. David said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother 
conceive me. So that life form of Adam was perpetuated throughout the whole of humanity. That's why it's called a race, a human race. It all sprung from the original couple and we received their life, their, their death, basically. So Satan, who originally worked in Adam through the lie, you don't need God, you can be God, you can disconnect from God, now works through every human through the flesh. That lie has kind of been um, taken into the flesh and is part of us now, and that's what's passed on. Paul put it this way beautifully. He said, talking to Christians, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Okay? <laughs> Jesus was more direct when he spoke to the Pharisees. He said, you are of your father, the devil. Say that to someone and <laughs> see what their reaction is. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He murdered Adam and Eve. He killed them. The day that you eat of it, you will die. Satan did that by bringing the lie into their lives. He does not stand in the truth. What is the truth? We are creatures of God. We are dependent upon the creator. We do need him. That's the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. Okay, now, this is what is, is spread throughout the, the whole of the human race. And it's getting worse and worse. And it's going to reach a climax in this person called the Antichrist. Look at this. Paul says, Speaking about the rapture and the second coming, let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. Okay? All that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God. That's the climax of the mystery of iniquity. You don't need God, you can become God. This figure will present himself as God and be worshipped as God, showing himself that he is God. For the mystery of lawlessness, okay, the mystery of iniquity that we're talking about, is already at work. It's at work in everyone. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Moving on. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to what? The working of Satan. With all power and signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. What is the truth? We are creatures. God is our creator. We need him that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion so that they should believe the lie. In the end, God will give them over to the very lie they choose to believe. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay, that's all pretty negative and depressing. 
but it's the truth, it's the reality, it's the mystery of iniquity. And we can see that there's, there's no hope in looking for someone who can come and save us who has come from Adam's race. Because that's what's been passed on to every human being. So we're going to look at godliness. What is the hope of godliness? Godliness begins with a different kind of birth. Not someone who's been born or, or, or generated from Adam's race, a different kind of birth. God created Adam's body in the beginning from the dust of the earth, then breathed into it the breath of life. So Adam didn't come from ancestors, receiving his nature from his parents or ancestors, but directly from God. That's what was needed again. If God was going to start again, he would need to do that again. A human life created by God, not generated by sinful flesh. This is where we come to the incarnation. Jesus' human life also was not by natural generation, but by supernatural creation. He was conceived in the womb of Mary and received his human life directly from God. Joseph was not his father. Mary's womb was sanctified, so there was no pollution there by the Holy Spirit. The eternal Son then was joined, that's the Logos we spoke about last week, you remember? The eternal Son was joined by the, to the human body and nature created by the Holy Spirit from Mary. Isaiah puts it this way, I think we're saying, for unto us a child is born, that's Jesus. That's the baby Jesus. But unto us, a son, not born, given. That's the son of God, the eternal Logos. The human Jesus had a beginning. The eternal son didn't. The child was born. That was his beginning. The son always existed with the father. He is both the son of God and the seed of the woman. A new kind of birth had nothing to do with Abraham, did not descend from, sorry, not Abraham, Adam, did not descend from Adam. The new birth receives a different kind of life. What, what do we mean by that? Okay, we were born uninhabited by God, because when Adam took the forbidden fruit, the light went out, God was no longer indwelling Adam, he was dead, spiritually dead. That's how we were born, uninhabited by God, wholly inhabited by sin. Jesus was born uninhabited by sin. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In him there was no sin. Amen? Uninhabited by sin, wholly inhabited by God. He did not possess a sin nature from Adam, but the divine nature. This is what we receive when we're born again. Amen? Peter says his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and what? Godliness. Everything we need to live a godly life, we've received from him. Godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these 
you may be partakers of the divine nature. What is the divine nature? Godliness. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust in Adam's race. In Adam, we had no choice. That's why people behave the way they do. It's their nature. But we've escaped that corruption. We now have access to the divine nature through Christ living in us. Paul said the first man, Adam, became a living being. Which is true. But the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. What's the difference? Adam received life from God. He was, he, he, he was a living being. He was alive. But then he died because he took the fruit that he shouldn't have taken. He never passed life onto us. But Jesus is a life-giving spirit. When you receive Jesus, you don't receive a sin nature that Adam passed on. But we receive life which is the Greek word zoe. It means the quality of life as possessed by the one who gave it. We receive his life, the very life of God. When we receive Christ into our lives, we are born again or born from above. We receive life. And along with that, this promise, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, which we have, that's where it, this is the mystery of iniquity we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man, the mystery of godliness. Here is the key to godliness. God did not come into our lives, sorry, Jesus did not come into our lives to help us. Some people think we do the best we can with the flesh and then when we get in trouble, we say, Lord, help me with this bit, you know. No, no, he didn't come to help us in that way. He came to give us life. He came to live his life through us. Life is God's ability to reproduce himself in you and me. This is the mystery of godliness. So we come to the last point. The new life produces a different kind of living. Jesus is the only person to live in total obedience to the Father. Why was that? because he refused to be the cause of his own effect. What I mean by that is he, he, he refused to do anything independently of God. He lived in dependence upon the Father. And, and, and in doing that, he was showing us, look, this is how you live the divine life. This is the pathway or, or, or the key, if you like, to godliness. You can't. He never said you can. He can and he will. He always says he will. Amen? So it's not me trying better, which is basically what a lot of psychology would, 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 would try to say is the way forward. But not only that, a lot of Christian counselling, because a lot of Christian counselling is, is basically legalism. Different ways that you can do it, you can overcome. Friends, he has overcome. He lived the perfect life. And he has come to live in us. That's godliness. So Jesus lived like that. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the father do, for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. Lived in total dependence upon his father. You could say he had no original thought, no original action. 
no good idea of his own. He lived from the Father's life. His godliness was the direct result of God's life manifested through him. As John says, no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. This is godliness. When you see Jesus in the Gospels, you see the life of godliness. God, the Father, living in him and through him. The mystery of godliness. What does it take to be godly? God. That's it. That's it. Godliness is the life of God in the souls of mankind. When the life was removed from Adam, the light went out. No life, no light, no God, no image of God. Godliness is God coming back and reproducing himself in you and me. As James put it, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Like father, like son. Mystery of iniquity, like father, like son. We're all a chip off the old block. <laughs> Adam. Godliness, like father, like son. Adam's race no longer bears the image of the glory of God, but believers do. This is the basis of hope, sorry, the basis and hope for godliness. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So let me just... So, you know, people might say, how does this work? And, and, and this is where the whole thing becomes very simple, very, very simple. Legalism is always complicated. Lots of things you've got to do and rules you've got to follow and programs you've got to put into practice and so on. That's not godliness. Here's the question. Are you trying to live the Christian life? Then stop. That's the problem. People are trying to get the victory, trying to live better, trying to stop doing this, trying to turn over a new leaf. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is let Christ live his life through you. How does that work? By faith. Amen? By faith. Do you find it hard? Maybe you're going through a situation right now where, where you're just finding it hard to be patient in that situation. Well, you don't have patience. <laughs> patience doesn't come from the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. Amen? You can't be patient in that situation. But when you, when you find yourself getting impatient, you say, Lord, I can't, but you can. And, and you live in me, and by faith now, I partake of the divine nature. I receive your patience for this situation, whatever it takes. You will give it to me. Your grace is sufficient for me. So I'll go through there. Are you facing temptation and, and you find it overwhelming? You keep falling back into that because you're fighting it in your own strength. But Jesus overcame temptation and he lives in you. You can't, but he can. Say, so, Lord, I can't do this in my own strength, but by faith I receive the life of Jesus and the victory that he gave. And I receive that by faith. I go forward in faith. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Now, I close on this point, and this is kind of just to get us ready for the next one. As the mystery of iniquity reaches its climax through the Antichrist, you'll see iniquity personified, sin personified 
in this grotesque person of Antichrist, which is Satan behaving in a man. So the mystery of godliness, which is Christ in you, will reach its climax in us. You know, we only have like a, just a small deposit of what God is going to do in, in us and through us. That's, how, that's the way the Bible describes it, a, a down payment, a deposit. But what God has for us, the Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has even been revealed to mankind, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. And we're going to talk about that next time when we talk about the last part in this. But I trust, I know it's, a, it's been a little bit theological again today, but I just trust that you'll, you'll be able to pick up the main thrust of what I'm saying and that you'll have hope and encouragement from the fact that Christ in you is the hope of godliness. Amen. Hope of glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this day for your precious word and we, we thank you, Lord, that the mystery of godliness has been revealed in the theme of Christmas, Lord, that the God was manifest in the flesh. We thank you, Lord, that you've come back to live inside us so that you might be manifest in and through us and people might behold your glory in us. So, Father, I pray that you'll encourage us, strengthen us and bless us this day and uh, in the coming days. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Praise God.